continue with the gospel according to Luke, we turn to the 13th chapter, 31st verse, Jesus has been speaking, and this is what happens next. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And then in what feels like a big shift in tone, Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. As we continue in Lent, O God, and we take a long look at ourselves, we ask that you abide with us as we do, not only to shape us and mold us, but to comfort and console us, and in these moments together, to speak to us. In Christ we pray, amen. So Jesus is troubled, worried in our reading. At least that's the part that jumps out when you read this passage quite often. At least it's what jumps out for me when I read it. Jesus is troubled. It's a more rare moment where we see a more human picture of the Messiah, and we're not always used to it. We're actually probably more comfortable with a calm, collected, relaxed, confident, in-charge Jesus, which we find most of the time, like we did at the beginning of this brief reading, more calm and comfortable and relaxed, knows what to say, knows what's going on, seems to be in control no matter what. The Pharisees come and they decide to help him, which for reasons we don't know why. Maybe they're sympathetic. Maybe they're secretly trying to help him out on the side as they work for Herod. Either way, Jesus in his calm, cool manner sees right through it and says to them, you go right back to Herod and tell him, nothing that he does is going to keep me from doing what I've come to do. Nothing he does is going to keep me from doing what I have to do today and tomorrow. Nothing. That's the Jesus we're probably most used to and that we picture in our minds when we hear his name, the calm, relaxed, confident. 
But then he gets worried. Troubled. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says. How I long to gather you together like a hen gathers the brood under her wing. Yet you were not willing. It almost feels defeatist. As if Jesus is so bothered that he is thinking about giving up on the whole deal altogether. That he's just about ready to toss in the towel. It feels that way. I long to gather you together, but you were not willing. So why should I even try? You can feel that way when you get to this part of Luke's gospel. But my caution to you is don't linger there too long. Because as Lutheran pastor Jane Hunt points out, the story is not done yet. It's not done for the Pharisees who are there to help him for whatever reason they're there to help him. It's not done for the disciples. It's not done for the crowds that are hearing him teach. And if it's not done for them, then it is not done for us, for you and me. Yes, Jesus weeps. Wept for Jerusalem in the story we just read, weeps for us today. When we come into church and we declare that we believe certain things, but then we go out into the world and act as if we believe something completely different, don't you know that Jesus weeps? When we make a promise, knowing when we make it that we're never going to be able to keep it, and yet we make it anyway to save face, Jesus weeps weeps for us. And yet, if the story is not done, then that must mean that it is not too late. Not too late for them in the story and not too late for us. In fact, the wide-sweeping message you start to gain and realize as you read the whole of Matthew's gospel is that when it comes to God, it is never too late. Never. Luke and Matthew, in fact, are the only two gospels that include this story at all in their books. They're the only ones that mention the lament of Jesus over Jerusalem. And yet they put them in completely different places. Matthew places it towards the end of the gospel. In fact, Matthew puts it at a more logical spot. Where Matthew places it is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem with the palm branches and the big celebration that we read on Palm Sunday, and then after that big parade or however big you think it is, depending on which scholars you read, after that he turns and he looks out over the city and he weeps. Makes more sense. Luke, he's not even in Jerusalem. I mean, Luke is just in this odd place. He puts it way earlier in the gospel, and I think I know why. The reason I think Luke does that is because I believe Luke has that phrase rattling around in his head as he writes down every single verse that it's never too late. I think he's got that rolling around in his mind as he writes it and wants to use every possible method, every means he can to get that 
little phrase across to whoever is reading his gospel that it's never too late. It's never too late. And the reason I think he has it in his head is because he does a lot of other things that point to that kind of thinking. For example, Luke is the only gospel who starts off by having Jesus' birth announced to a bunch of shepherds in a field the kind of folks that the world has all but forgotten. Luke is the only gospel who includes the story of the prodigal son welcomed home by the loving father, someone who everyone else had all but given up on. It's the only gospel that tells about a good Samaritan who helps someone on the side of the road that no one else was willing to help. Everyone had given up on altogether Luke is the only gospel writer that has the recording of the thief on the cross. When all had been said and done and everyone had clearly given up on him, turns to Jesus and basically says, is it too late? Will you welcome me into your kingdom?" I think he does those things in places of this story much earlier in the gospel than you would expect him to because for Luke, it's never too late. It's never too late. Old Testament professor Leslie Hopp adds to that, link, that, that train of thought, that kind of way of thinking by saying that not only does he do those things, he, he places this story at the end of a collection of parables that all focus on repentance, a word that means to literally turn around, to do a complete 180. This story of Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem is not so much a story, she says, of, of a final judgment of the city, but is more a call to repent. For them and for us to turn around, to change that thing in your life that you've been afraid to change for far too long, to turn around, to let go of that, that thing that, that weighs heavy on your heart and and eats away at your soul to turn around and to place those things at the feet of God. It's never too late. Did you know that? Luke wants you to know that. It's never too late. A handful of years ago, a, a, re, or a marketing professor named Robert Cialdini, I believe I'm saying his name right, did a, wanted to do a study on what kind of message might be most influential in changing people's behavior. What kind of message might influence the way people behave and the way they do things. And, he, and so he sent a team out into a large suburban area and they were, the, the issue they were looking at is, is energy consumption. So they went out with these door uh, hangers, you know, and they had a message on each of them and they were one of four messages. 
asking people to consider lowering their use of their energy use. One of them said, think about lowering your energy use because it's good for the environment. That was one. Another one was think about lowering your energy use because, well, for the, the future generations. Uh, think about lowering your energy use because your neighbors are doing it. Think about it because it'll save you money. Your bill will go down. Cost savings. And they put those out and all over the place. And then a the couple of months of doing that. And then they went back and looked at the meters of all of the people who had them. And then a slew of houses and the rest of it that didn't have anything, right? And they discovered that only one of them made any difference at all. And it made a difference. Only one. You guess which one it is? Your neighbors are doing it. Your neighbors are doing it. Good old peer pressure. Your neighbors are doing it. No other reason that you might argue about or may say, well, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense or, you know, maybe I could save money. No. Your neighbors are doing it, therefore you should do it. And so it led him to conclude that people dis make decisions by looking at those within their environment, within their context. That's how they make decisions by and large. In other words, people decide how to live their life by looking at those who are around them. Now, I want to take that premise and ask you to think about all the people that are with you in this sanctuary today. These are, at least for right now, your neighbors. We are here because we are trying to turn around. That is why we are here. That is part of the whole of our faith that we might turn around and face the goodness of God. Person sitting next to you on your left is doing it. Person on your right. Person sitting in front of you, just like the one behind you. They're doing it too. Now, some of us might be doing and putting in a more genuine effort than others. But that's why we're here. To turn around from our messy little lives and face God's goodness. Receive God's mercy. And because of that, I only want you to remember one thing. Just one thing. One thing to write down, put in your pocket, and take home with you today. Just one. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel about who you are right now, it is never too late. Never. It is never too late 
to change some part of your life that you have been afraid to change, that you've been clinging to. It is never too late to let go of that thing that is weighing heavy on your heart and eating away at your soul. It is never too late to make amends with someone who you have hurt. It is never too late to seek forgiveness or to offer it. You're never too far gone, never beyond God's reach, never worth giving up on, ever. It is never too late. Never.